you this morning. We're glad that you're here, and I hope you've come uh, expecting a blessing um, uh, from the Lord this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, uh, kids, if you want, you can go to Children's Church with Leslie and uh, Kristen. And uh, we uh, today is World Missions uh, Offering Sunday, and so. Uh, the sermon this morning is going to be somewhat along those lines. And uh, remember, uh, offering boxes in the back uh, for your regular offerings, but we'll take up a special offering um, at the end of the service for uh, missions. So um, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, when we think about missions, we often think about, and I'm thankful for those of you that uh, support a missionary or two, and uh, we've had over the last year or so a couple different missionaries uh, come to our church. We met several at the state meeting uh, in April. Uh, here at the church, if you were here, you met several of them that, that were uh, here in the country raising, uh, getting ready to go to wherever it is they were going to be missionaries at. Uh, when we think of missions, that's normally what we think of, and you know it's important that our church and every other church uh, is involved in world missions. The gospel is for the entire world. Um, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But uh, everybody needs to know Jesus, don't they? And uh, the book of Acts, Luke asked it this way. He said, how on earth can they hear unless they're sent a preacher? And how can they hear a preacher unless a preacher is sent to them? And, uh, and so missions is very important. But here's something that we often don't think of. Missions is not just in Spain and Japan and Africa and South America. But missions is right here at home too. Chances are great. In fact, I'm going to tell you there's a 100% chance that you know somebody who is not in church. You know somebody that's lost. You know somebody that's not where they ought to be with God. Uh, they might live in your neighborhood. Uh, they might even live in your own house. I don't know. Uh, they may work with you. Uh, they may be uh, the checker at the grocery store. Um, they may be somebody that you interact in other ways. But I can guarantee you that there is a 100% chance that you know somebody that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know that was the most important decision you ever made in your life. I think you would all agree with that, I hope. And I would also hope that you would say, you know what, when I met Jesus and I've allowed Jesus to work in my life and begin to change me, my life has not been the same. Because when you meet Jesus, he turns your world upside down. Uh, a lot of times people get the idea that once you meet Jesus and you ask him into your life and you start to follow him, things are just going to, all of a sudden, all your problems are going to vanish. And things in life are just going to get easy. And can I tell you, there is a 0% chance that that's how it's worked out in your life. It does not work out that way. 
Uh, in fact, sometimes when we're fo- trying to follow God and do what God would have us to do and live a life in Jesus' footsteps, life gets tougher than it was before. And we seem to have more adversity than we did before. And yet, we're able to get through it because we're not going through it alone. See, people that don't have Jesus in their life are going through life alone. But if you know Jesus, he goes through life with you. I tell you, there is no better friend than the Lord Jesus Christ to have walking with you as you live this life. And so I want to share some information with you. Uh, We uh, partnered with our National Association um, office in Nashville and a um, church ministry uh, organization that does a lot of demographic research. Uh, and by the way, if that's your thing, come see. I'd love to share some, inf- I mean, 45 pages of graphs and charts and numbers uh, of people that live within 15-minute drive of, to our church. Um, that gives me a headache when I look at all that number. <laughs> but if, if you're one that is really interested in that, I'd love to share that with you. Uh, but this is a map of uh, different places uh, where you can drive to our church in 15 minutes or less. Uh, so that includes not just Pearl, it includes almost all of Pearl, it includes a little bit of Brandon, it includes a little bit of Jackson. You can be uh, in parts of Jackson in 15 minutes or less from our church. So there are 103,988, so 12 shy of 104,000 people that live within 15 minutes of our church. That's a lot of people. And I tell you that even if 1%, and I'm I'm just going to stop here and say it is a lot more than 1% of those people that don't know Jesus, but if it was just 1% of those 104,000 people, that would be 1,040 people that live within a reasonable driving distance to our church that don't know Jesus. but I can tell you the number is substantially more than that. Folks, the harvest field is great. And there are a lot of people all around us that need to know Jesus. And I tell you something, the government's not going to tell them about Jesus. And they're not going to find it by watching uh, Oprah uh, or uh, some of these self-help guru shows that you can find on television. The only way they're going to find Jesus is if we, as God's church, as those that have been changed and impacted by Jesus, go and tell them. The the harvest field is great. And we're going to look in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 through 38 in just a minute. And Jesus was in Jerusalem. And he saw, now Jerusalem was, even back then, was a much larger city than Pearl is today. Um, Jesus looked out over the city. Uh, And the scripture says he was moved. Because he saw the people and saw that what their issues were. And by the way, a lot of times what we think our issues are are not what our issues are. But God knows our heart. And God knows what our issues really are. 
And most of the time, our issue really is we're not living with God the way that God created us to. And so we're not doing what we were created to do. And, and that leads to, to issues. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And so Jesus looked out at Jerusalem and was moved with compassion because the people were weary. They were troubled. They were scattered. In other words, they had no direction in life. They were just aimlessly kind of floating along, you know, whichever way the wind blew. They weren't anchored. They didn't have any purpose. They didn't have um, any sense of belonging. And he was moved with compassion. And so there's three things from these few verses that I want us to talk about this morning. And the first is this. Uh, God's plan, God's way to address this issue. So Jesus saw this great need as he was going out. And his answer was, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. And so I want to remind us that God's plan is for God's people to go. Now for some of you, and I pray, you know, we know uh, our church just recently sent a preacher to Oklahoma. And it's hard. We, we still kind of grieve about that. And I, uh, you know, we, Seth and Allison were an important part of our church. But can I tell you that had we kept them here, our church would have been miserable. Because that's not what God had designed. But this church raised up a young man and nurtured him. And loved him and loved his family. And God put a call on his life to preach the gospel, and he answered. But when we answer God's call, sometimes it means we leave where we're comfortable and where we grew up and what we know, and we go to somewhere else that we don't know. And sometimes it might be Oklahoma. And I've been to Oklahoma. Those of you that have been there, it's like a foreign mission field. It is a ton different than Mississippi. And by the way, you need to, if you haven't already been to pray, you need to pray for Seth and Allison as they adjust, because it is a big difference, and they're away from home, and away from, you know, they don't have any family, and, you know, everybody they know is here, and now they're there. And yet, can I tell you that God has prepared people that they probably don't love Seth and Allison and Spencer Joy as much as we do, but I may be a little biased by that, but they do love Seth and Allison and Spencer Joy. And they care for them. And they're taking good care of them. Um, and so we celebrate. Our church 
is a part now of what God is doing at Harmony Free Will Baptist Church in Ada, Oklahoma. Sometimes God sends us way, way, way far away from home. Like he did Hannah Goucher, who was here just a couple months ago. And several of you signed up to, to support her, and I appreciate that, and I know she does too. Hannah is, grew up in North Mississippi, in the Olive Branch, um, and is at the um, Cross Creek Free Will Baptist Church, uh, just south of Memphis. went off to Free Will Baptist Bible College, or now Welch College, I still call it Free Will Baptist Bible College, because uh, that's what it was when I went there, but it's Welch College now. Studied, and God worked in her heart. She said, you know what, I want you to go and take the gospel to college students and high school students in Japan. And you know what Hannah said, Lord, I'll go. And so sometimes the Lord does send us far away. But can I tell you, most of the time, God sends us close. Because there are a lot of needs. There's not need people that just need the gospel in Ada, Oklahoma, and in Japan. There's people that need Jesus in Pearl, Mississippi. And there's people that need Jesus uh, where you live, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace. And so God says, you know what? My plan is to use my people to meet these needs. And so Jesus went and he taught. He healed people. In other words, he wasn't just concerned about their spiritual condition. He was concerned about their physical condition. And the struggles that they were going through. And he ministered to them. And then he said here, pray that the Lord would send forth laborers. And we have to be careful when we pray. Because God will answer. And sometimes he'll answer yes, and then he'll turn it on us. And so, oh, oh, all right, Barbara Romine. I'm glad you said yes. Now I want you to go to that hooligan next door to you and invite him to church. I want you to share Jesus with that hooligan and love on that hooligan. And some of us would say, well, Lord, you know, wouldn't you rather me go to Japan? Uh, I'd, I'd much rather do that, Lord. There are people all around us that need to know that God loves them. And God wants to have a relationship with them. And his plan is to use you and me and use all the rest of his people to get that message out. And so Jesus, I think, was being a little sneaky. Because when we're concerned about something enough to pray about something, God sometimes says, all right, you do something about it. I'm going to use you. And then, boy, have we got a big decision to make. Are we going to do it or are we not going to do it? And can I tell you, it's always better in the long run 
to do what God says to do. It is always best to be obedient to God. And sometimes God's will and your will, they align. And when you're walking with God, hey, they will. But sometimes your will and God's will, they don't quite match up. And so the answer is not to say, well, I'm just going to keep praying until God's will aligns with mine. It's probably not going to happen. But what needs to happen is you need to say, you know what, Lord, help me to align my will with your will. So they're exactly the same. And that's when God's people are happy. And when they're blessed. Because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of different jobs. There are uh, a lot of service folks in our community, people that have service-oriented jobs. And some of them, very good at it. So we've all encountered people that service industry stuff is not their call and not what they're good at. You know, if you don't like people and being around people, going into some kind of service job where you have to interact with people is probably not what you... But you know what happens when people that are in those industries, or whatever industry, and that's not what God has called them to do, and not how God has gifted them. You know what they are? They're miserable, and they hate their job. But then there's other people that have gifts and God's called them to you know, be in that service or maybe be an auto mechanic or be a, an accountant or be a whatever and if that's what God created you to do and that's what God has gifted you to do you're happy doing it and no matter how God's gifted you and the abilities that God's given you naturally and spiritually. God has given you those gifts and abilities so that you can go and be part of his plan. That's what the purpose of your life is, is to know God and to make him known. And God has given you certain gifts, and God's given me certain gifts. And they're all different, by the way. But when we're all working for the same purpose, then we can get things done. And we're happy. We're blessed. Not that ever, we're, you know, we always have a smile on our face because things are going our way because things will not always go your way. But there's a peace inside of you. Regardless of what else is going on or the bad things that are happening in your life, you know that God's still in control and that God loves you and that you belong to him. And there is peace that comes from that. And so we need to understand that God's people is for God's people to go. It may be to Japan or Oklahoma. And if it is, you need to go. But most likely it's, I want you to go across the street. Or I want you to go across the office. Or I want you to speak to that cashier at the checkout line that's had a frazzled day and it's evident to that, and I want you to be an encouragement to them. And I want you to let them know that you love them and I love them, and things will get better. 
And so as we go through life, and that's the point of the Great Commission, look at with me here, Matthew 28. So Jesus, in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, said, I want you to pray that the Lord would send laborers. But then in verse 18 of Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew, this is where he said, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority and power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so it misses in a little bit what the emphasis that Jesus was saying when he said go. It would be better translated. It gives the idea of as you are going. So it's not necessarily going to some foreign place or going to a far off place, but as you are going through life, make disciples of all nations. So yes, that means God says you support church planners in your country. And in your state, and we do. And he says, you support international missionaries, men and women that I've called to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. But then you be willing as well to let me use you where you're at. And can I tell you, I guarantee you something this morning, that if you're willing to let God use you where you're at, he will. He'll send opportunities across your path to make a difference and to speak on his behalf. Maybe to share your testimony, tell somebody about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And so God's plan is for God's people to go. But then the second thing I want to remind us is that God's people must display compassion. It's not just enough for us to go. We have to have the right attitude and the right motive. And if our attitude and motive is, well, I've got to go do this or the preacher will get off my back and God will leave me alone and I can say, well, I've done, I shared the gospel with, you know, the yo-yo next door. So I'm done, God. Leave me alone now. If that's our attitude, you think God's going to bless that? I can assure you he is not. That's not how our relationship with God should work. When we have the attitude, you know, God, uh, when God breaks our heart for a person or a group of people, he'll show us how we can minister to the needs of that person or that group of people. It, Jesus said it in the gospel this way. He said, you know what? If you've given somebody clothes that was naked, if you've given somebody a cup of cold water in my name, if you visited somebody that was in prison, if you took care of an orphan or a widow, it's as if you've done it to me. Jesus was moved with compassion as he looked out on the people and saw that they were hurting. And the people that he saw, they thought their problems were their husband or their wife or their children or their parents or their moron boss or the government. But Jesus understood what their problem was was not any of those things. 
What their problem was was they were living life apart from God. And because they were not living the way that God created them to live, they were miserable. And they had issues and problems that they couldn't deal with, and so nothing ever got better. Can I assure you that problems and issues never just get better just leaving them alone? If your check engine light in your car comes on, don't ignore it. Say, well, it'll go off eventually. Well, when it'll go off when your car blows up. But we have to love people. That Jesus said they will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And unfortunately, too often, when people who are not in church look at church people, man, those people are mean to each other. They're hateful. And unfortunately, I've known some hateful Christians and some Christians with stinky attitudes. That's not supposed to be how Christians are. Christians are to be filled with joy and life. And we're not, and when we're not, it's a sign there's something off kilter in our walk with the Lord. And so God's people must display compassion. We mustn't look down on people. Jesus was much better than anybody that came, he came across. Especially that crowd in Jerusalem that was going to crucify him. In just a few chapters later. Have you ever thought for a minute that it would have been a whole lot easier on Jesus if Herod the Great had never been born? And yet God gave Herod life. Herod made bad decisions and <laughs> didn't live for God and you know, did some bad stuff. But even that bad stuff, God used as part of his plan to bring redemption to the world. But here's where I was going with that. We must never see anybody that's below us. We must never think we're better than anybody else. Say, you know what, I'm too good to talk to that person, or I'm too good to, to kneel down and, and talk to this person, or to do something for this person. Because I'm going to tell you something, it could just as well have been you in that person's situation. And it's only by the grace of God that it's not. And so you have compassion on those that are hurting. The church has tried to engulf and to shine light on compassion. You know, orphanages, hospitals, universities, school. the first ones were started by the church. By Christians. And still today we have some various hospitals in our area that are religiously affiliated still today. And that's a good thing. We have to have a heart for those 104,000 people that live within 15 minutes of our church. They are, they're different than us. I want to share that report uh, that I talked about 
shares a lot of demographic information. And you'll be surprised in that 15-minute drive, 60% of the people that live within 10 minutes of our church are under the age of 40. 60%. And in fact, about 35% of them are the millennial generation and the young, I forget what their new generation is, so they're younger people. Their 30s and 20s and young people. Can I tell you those people are the ones that are battling great things, heavy burdens. And this world's not going to ease that burden. But can I tell you, we know somebody that can ease that burden. And his name is Jesus. But if we don't have a burden and we don't have compassion for those people, we're not going to reach one, much less a thousand. We are called to go. We're called to go with compassion. We're called to go and say, you know what? Yeah, they're different than me. And can I tell you, some young people, they have some goofy ideas. You see, some of the clothes they wear, they're, they're very odd. Some of the hairstyles that they wear, And so, if we're not careful, what we do is we say, you know, they're different. Than, and let, let's not have any of that. But I want you to think a minute. I can almost guarantee that when you were 20, when you were 18, definitely for sure when you were 13 or 14, you were very much different than what your mom and dad thought was normal. That's just, that's, that's culture. That's how things are. And people are different today. But people still are battling the same things that you battled when you were 20 and when you were 30 and when you were 15 and 16. And the answer is still the same as it was then when you were that age. It's still the same today. The answer is Jesus. The answer is people living and be, letting their lives be changed by a God that loves them so much he died for them. And that will always be the answer. Somebody loved you enough and cared enough about you to whatever age you were when you came to know Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower. You just didn't happen upon that by yourself. You happened upon it because people invested in you. People shared with you the gospel. That you were a sinner. And you were headed for hell. And you were headed for destruction. But God had a better way. And he has a better plan for your life. And he loves you so much that he came. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. And shed his innocent blood. To pay your sin debt. And pay my sin debt. Pay the sin debt of all the world. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. We know that to be true, don't we? And if we know it to be true, shouldn't we want everyone we have opportunity to tell that message to, shouldn't we tell them? Absolutely we should. 
but our propensity, our natural instinct, and I include myself in this, is to keep our mouth shut. Well, I don't want to embarrass them. Not, you know, don't want to offend them. But here's the reality. The gospel is offensive. It's always offensive. Because it says, you are wrong. If you like somebody telling you you're wrong, raise your hand. That's exactly what I thought. Nobody likes it. And yet we all need to hear it sometimes because we're all wrong on various occasions. And it, but it's hard to swallow when somebody tells us we're wrong. And if God is working humility in us and say, you know, yeah, I, I did wrong and I'm sorry and I apologize and it offends. And so the gospel will be offensive. You just have to make sure that you offend them with love and offend them for the right reason. And in the right way. So God's people must be display compassion. And then lastly this morning, God's people must pray. A lot of times, a lot of the problems we face, we face and we struggle with because we don't do this. And sometimes we don't do it because we're afraid of what's going to happen if we do pray. And so we don't. And so when we don't pray, nothing happens. Jesus said this way, he said, you have not because you've asked not. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. And it, he's not saying, hey, listen, he's not saying Carl can say, Lord, I need a new fishing boat so me and the preacher can go deep sea fishing and be fishers of men and fishers of fish. He's not saying that. What he's saying is when you pray and you're living in my will and we're close and you see things the way I see them, your prayers won't be about your fishing boat that you want. Your prayers will be about family members that are not where they ought to be with the Lord. And you'll be crying out to the Lord, Lord, please reach my son, reach my daughter, reach my father, reach my mother. You say, Lord, my neighbor is hurting. Help them. It is a dangerous thing sometimes to pray the way that God teaches us and wants us to pray. I really think sometimes the reason we don't is because we're afraid <laughs> of what God's going to do. Sometimes we're afraid to pray God send more people to our church because if more people come to our church, our church might look a little different. And there'll be people we don't know. There might be people that sit in our seat. We don't want that. See, I've, told, I've mentioned before the church one time I've sitting in church and and got up and prayed and when I came back my stuff was moved uh, and somebody was in my spot we like routine and we like things that are familiar and yet God calls us to be going and as we're going we're being changed 
others are being changed, and this world is being changed. And so church, Jesus gave us the instruction, and it wasn't optional. He didn't say, well, if you feel like it or if you have a free minute, pray. He gave a command. He said, you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Can I tell you, there's some of you that need to step up and start praying and then listening as you pray how God directs you. And if that's you, then step up and do that. But a lot of you do, and I appreciate that. Keep doing it. But we really need to pray. Listen, we could fit easily 100 more people in this building and not be smushed. And then I pray, Lord, fill this church up. Not just for the sake of filling the church up, because God never commands us to fill pews. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he told us to do was go. And as we're going, make disciples. And guess what? As we're going and we're telling people about the difference that Jesus has made in our life, and we invite them to experience that same change, a natural result of us doing that is these pews beginning to fill up. Because people are saying, listen, if, if God can change that Aaron Baldwin, I'm not near as bad as he is. I'm not near as dumb as he is. I'm not nearly as ugly as he is. God can do something with me. And God will begin to change. Can I tell you, the only person that can change anybody's life, including yours, is Jesus Christ. The only thing that can do anything about your children or your parents, or your co-workers, or your neighbors, is Jesus. And Jesus says, you pray, and I'll answer. But be prepared for how he answers. Because he might say, all right, you go do it. He might say, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to be willing to change some things. You're going to have to be okay with things that are a little different. okay and so I think God challenges us and my prayer is that listen as I tell this morning don't just cry about this don't say oh man there's so few people come to church or we've got all these struggles or you know all these people have all these problems and it's easy to get overwhelmed with problems it's easy for church people to get overwhelmed with problems it's really easy for those that don't know God to get overwhelmed with problems But the thing is, is that we're, we are not the problem solver. But we know who is. His name is Jesus. And regardless of whatever problem you have or whatever issue in life is going on around you, Jesus can do something about it. He doesn't know what, you know, Paul wrote in one of his letters. He said, listen, I prayed to the Lord three times that he would take away this issue. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. 
For in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And so when we're willing to turn our will and our desires and our actions and our priorities over to God, we say, God, you, you take it. He will. And he'll fix it however his perfect will is. But so often we just want to gripe about things. We don't want to be part of the solution. Pray. Well, preacher, I already do. Well, good. Pray some more. And pray earnestly. James says the fervent prayer, the earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In other words, the prayer that keeps on praying even when you get tired of praying it, where it seems hopeless. I've seen a lot of people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and their life transformed that everybody else had given up on. And yet a faithful grandmother, a faithful wife, or a faithful mother or father continued to pray and pray and pray, and God answered. Maybe not on our timetable or how we wanted him to, but he will always answer in the way that's best and in the way that's in accordance with his plan. So pray. Pray and ask God to, to help you, to help our church, to help his church, to help the universal church. Because listen, there's not a church anywhere around us that's busting at the seams and just hunky-dory and not all of them facing problems. Because this world is becoming more and more against God. But those are times when this church needs to shine brightest. So may God help us to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love for us. And Lord, we've talked about the Great Commission. We've talked about reaching our community this morning and reaching our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, our earnest heartbeat as a church is to see people's lives changed and transformed by the amazing power of grace. But Lord, sometimes we confess as a church that we stand in the way of that. And Lord, we pray you would help us to do better. Forgive us when we're the impeding, the thing that stops somebody from coming to Jesus. Lord, give us a burden and a heartbeat for the community of Pearl, Mississippi. Help us to be your hands and feet. Lord, if there's one here today that's lost, that doesn't know you, they don't know the joy of living with you, help them today to receive that free gift. But Lord, for those of you who, who are your children and who are being transformed by your grace and power, would you give them a burden to pray and a burden to go with compassion and love and the gospel? God, help us to always put your will before ours. And where our will does not align with yours, God, please work in us and through us to change us. 
Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together.